Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, mom to Skylar, my incredible adult son with severe nonverbal autism. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast five years ago was that the content of each episode brings hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. In sharing the many relatable caregiver stories and experiences, I sincerely hope that you never feel like you have to travel your parenting journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my Facebook page, Welcome to My Life, Skylar's World, or Instagram, Welcome to My Life underscore Lori Hellman. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes or Audible, please leave a rating and a written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season five of Living the Sky Life. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad to have all of you here. My guest today is Rachel Flanagan. Rachel lives in Minnesota with her daughter, Celie. Rachel is creative, motivated, and is more than willing to learn. She is sleepless, funny, and is always found with a cup of coffee. Rachel explores her own strengths and struggles, as well as Celie's complexities and magic in a blog and page called Flanaville. Rachel writes as she speaks, real, raw, and from the heart. Rachel is also a co-host on the Table for Five No Reservations podcast. Having met Rachel in Minnesota earlier this year, I can attest to all of those adjectives to describe her. She is the first person to give you a hug. She is the first person to shed a tear and show empathy with your situation. She is also the first person to make you laugh and uh, calm you when you're in a challenging moment in your life. So I am just blessed to know her and consider her a friend. So please enjoy my conversation with Rachel. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. I'm so excited to have the uh, part host of Table for Five No Reservations podcast, one of the many women that's on that podcast as a host, and um, she has her own page, Flanaville. So Rachel Flanagan is my guest today after a long wait of trying to get her on here. So welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Thank you, Lori. I'm so happy to be here. I'm I'm happy we finally got our schedules worked out. I know you're in high demand. So I just had to keep chasing you down <laughs> to be able to get you on here. Um, well, for those that are not familiar with um, Rachel and her daughter, Celie, um, would you want to give a little backstory? You have a very unique story um, of how Celie came into your life. And I absolutely love it. And I just love your Basically, it's your mantra that you always say that long before you knew her, you knew she would wear stripes and polka dots. You thought of green eyes and curly hair, and you were so sure that the universe would bring your daughter to you that even after you had lost hope, you said yes one more time to getting silly. Yeah. I absolutely love that. So tell us all the things um, about Celie and how she entered your, your life. Sure. Yeah. My, um, let's see, I started adoption process with my then husband in probably 2005, right after we had been, uh, right after we had gotten married and our adoption journey was tumultuous. We moved several times. And that sort of means that like we had a process in Minnesota, then a process in Montana and you have to restart. And in the midst of all of that, we also had, um, that was like mainly agency adoption that we were looking into. 
but there was private adoption stuff kind of coming and going. And by the end of 20, let's see, by the end of 2014, Billy and I had gotten to like between 30 and 40 weeks with five, uh, 30 and 40 weeks pregnant with five different birth moms. And then they asserted like the birth father asserted their rights or mm. circumstances changed or someone within the family stepped in. And so we had a empty nursery for a very, very long time. Oh my gosh. Um, in that, you know, I myself was adopted. And so in that journey, I just kept reminding myself that I felt I was supposed to be a parent. Mm -hmm. I knew that I know that families work out just the way that they should. And I tried to keep the faith, but I'm saying like, this is some high level sentences over some real big pain. It's weird to grieve what you never had. Oh, um, I, I mean, I get that. I, I, I don't think it's weird at all or hard. I, I mean, yeah. every single time someone promises you a family member and then it's yeah. ripped from you, I cannot imagine going through that that many times. It was pretty brutal. And one of the, one of the families, or I'm sorry, one of the children that we were going to adopt was, um, Celie's sister. So when that fell through and her birth mom found herself pregnant again later, she connected with us. And obviously the nursery was still empty. The heart was still open and we were still willing um, to, to see if it would go through this time. It did. Um, so we were paper pregnant with Celie's birth mom from about five weeks pregnant on. And I ended up at the right heel of the birth mother. <laughs> I was in the delivery room. Oh, that's nice. I was the catcher. And um, I, I was able to give Celie her first hug. Aww. And um, I've just been her mom the whole time. We went into a birthing suite next across the hall from her birth mom and were discharged shortly after and have been her mom every day since. And what we've learned in her eight and a half years is that Celie has autism and ADHD was diagnosed first, then anxiety and depression came second. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorders were questioned at that time by a pediatrician that is well-versed, but also was our first pediatrician that we were with any length of time in Celie's life because we had moved a whole lot trying mm -hmm. to adjust our state to accommodate her need. Um, and when she was seven, she, when she was six, she was diagnosed with bipolar with rapid cycling, bipolar two with rapid cycling. And then on in her seventh year, she was diagnosed with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder called RNAD, which is an alcohol related neuro difference or some neurodiverse, but I don't know what it is. The brain I'm damage. Surprised they were able to diagnose bipolar at six. I, I just, I mean, I didn't know if there were, if usually I, I guess I had assumed that usually you have to be a little older and able it's, to more explain yourself. Cause I, I imagine you at that point were doing a lot of the talking and describing for the doctor of her behaviors yeah. and things. Yeah. The thing is, is that by that point, well, first of all, we were at Mayo Clinic with a very um, progressive doctor. So I think that that really speaks to his willingness to diagnose her that young. Additionally, we have uh, a very storied health history for Celie. And 
She's one of seven siblings. All oh, with I didn't know that. Yeah. She's uh, one of seven, all with significant needs. And by the time we had gotten to Mayo Clinic, she wasn't sleeping. She had failed dozens of med trials separately cocktailed together, you know, like we were just really moving fast to try and figure out how to get her safe and or sleeping mm-hmm. and or and or not running and or not eloping. <laughs> um, and so all of it together, I think, is what made it so easy for him to just say it. I mean, there we have learned that there is not a place that her bipolar two with rapid cycling diagnosis will go besides to schizophrenia. Right. Yeah, that so, makes sense. I mean, it's hard to get all of those labels, but essentially, I mean, they're so needed. You know, people ask me all the time, like, that don't have children on the spectrum, particularly, why was it so important for you to get his diagnosis at three? And it's because every time we led with PDD NOS, which was not autism, it was just pervasive developmental delays and disorders and things that you know, not otherwise specified, that meant no speech, no PT and no OT yeah. outside of the what the state provides from age zero to three, then you age out of that program. And so without the diagnosis code on the paperwork, he wasn't entitled to any of the services and yeah. insurance wouldn't pay for things. They still didn't really, but you just needed those labels. So I'm fine with getting him the labels and the diagnosis that he needs to get him ultimately to a better you know, place. But I would imagine well, it's the same for Celie and you. For me, what the diagnoses, any of them gave us is the ability to look it up and the ability to really figure out like, okay, if I can learn about bipolar and then also step back from Celie's, like my caregiving view, then I could see all of the arc of her major mood swings. And for her, she'll have like 60, 60 day or like three to six, three to five months, maybe of an up or a down. And with, and then they always obviously like follow each other. You've got this chunk of up and you don't realize you're there until you're down and then you're down for a while. Mm-hmm. But within that, she can cycle through emotions. 11, I think they cycled or I'm sorry, I think they logged 10 cycles in um, three minutes at Mayo. Wow. So she is up, she is down, she is up, she is down. And when you aren't seeing that, she's masking it. So she's carrying on. And all of that takes a great deal of energy as well. So she just gets tuckered out. And by the end of her day, she's wildly verbal. If you don't follow our page, um, Steely has a lot of language. It isn't always functional language, meaning to answer your question, it might just be what the molecular structure is of such and such, but she can't tell you what hot or cold is or what she'd like to eat or a- answer questions po- brought to her. Um, and by the end of the day at my home or in this environment and at school, she will be nonverbal. So there are nights that I'm feeding her dinner like literally holding the plate so she doesn't throw it, holding the spoon, bringing it to her mouth. When earlier in that day, her executive functioning was popping, you know? Mm-hmm. It's gotta be, so, it's just so it, hard it, that they can't control their mind and their body and work those things together. 
I mean, it's, yeah. it's not even a close comparison, but I, I do try to observe that with Skylar. It's that he does some things and mannerisms, throwing things, swiping things, hitting. I know he doesn't want to do it. I can tell he doesn't yeah. want to do it, but his mind does not work with his body. <laughs> his mind does what it wants. And if, I mean, I even have to walk him through, like, think about your body is what I have to say to him and like scoot your hips back into the chair to get him to sit instead of saying, sit down. He doesn't necessarily understand what I'm saying when I say sit down. So I have to say, scoot your hips back, bend your knees and tell his body so he can tell his body what to do. So we break everything down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And according to the level of overwhelm or under fire that she's in, you know, I might be able to get away with a sit down, but there are times when I'm like, you got to push your feet on the ground to see you can push your butt back. You know, it means same thing. It's just, I have to watch her and take up the slack so that she doesn't then get aggravated. And so if I can see that she's in things like the way she holds her hands to tell me how she's doing emotionally so that I can support her physically. Mm-hmm. If she's shutting down, I know because of everything. I mean, her whole face structure changes when oh, she's okay. like when she's in a like major aggression. Her jaw's tight, her pupils are black, her she's like charging. Like she has fight she, or flight for sure, right? Yep, yep. Um, she's and yet there can be these calm, mellow spots too, where she's trying to let her body melt or, you know, mm-hmm. um, sort of calm down. So it's, it's interesting. It, it It's interesting to be hers because I've built all of these protections so that she's less in a struggle at our home. The thing of life is, is that life doesn't happen at home. Yeah. And so despite the easier path that we've been able to navigate, because I've learned so much about her, it she still has to go to school to mm-hmm. today um, dealt with the call from school because on her independent bus with an aide and a driver, everybody was unsafe this morning because she wanted a shoe tie different and her ponytail adjusted. Um, and we're talking about a car that goes 70 miles an hour on the highway. I mean, yeah. you can't be, safe, but right. it's, I can't let, you can't tell somebody about the palms of her hands in an IEP. So what I know about her and can help her like use those things that I know to help regulate her, others don't have. Um, And I can't work fast enough to get everybody to understand her at the level I do, you know? So we're just at risk. I think we're at risk all the time. Well, and this is, this may be a dumb question, but the people that all interact with her, like those bus drivers, like her teachers. I mean, and I know that there's IEPs for the teachers and things like that for them in the classroom. Is there ever like an opportunity to sit down with everyone together and like you demonstrate or you explain to the drivers because they're not in the classroom with her. And so maybe people don't think they need to be fully educated on the ins and outs of Sealy because they're only with her for a short time for transportation, but that's one of the most dangerous places to have yeah. her have a, a, a moment like she did this morning. So I just, I'm good. I speak with you uh, or I'm on with you right now. And then I have a thing with Amanda DeLuca for the more than project. Oh yeah. And cool. 
<clears throat> and then I'm connecting with the bus company for just that. I don't care if I do a lunch and learn for them. I mean, I will do anything to help people understand who they're transporting, but also those ones that are transporting my daughter. Like, let me help you help her. Yeah. <clears throat> Cause the last thing you want is them to go, listen, we're done. We're not transporting her. Cause that's what we're dealt with all the time is people have yeah. one bad interaction with our kids. A lot of times it's because they don't know how to manage if they would have just asked us or we would have just communicated that. But the result is our kids are ejected from these programs and services and respite or whatever the situation is. And people are done after one instance. And it's like, it's so unfair to our kids because it just sends them a signal that they're bad and that they're being punished and they're losing privileges for these things. And they can't, you know, it's that that is so built into our, the structure and the fabric of this country and the systems that are made to support our kids. You know, when I, the table for fives last, um, series was on the behind the scenes of the school district. And it's so, it's lucky for us that Celie has struggled so much at school that she has landed in the placement that she is at right now with school. But the system is so broken that kids that are already entering vulnerable, excuse me, need to fail out three more times with no mention of what a failure looks like. So that means if Kathy's in a bad mood in Northern Minnesota, three days in a row, then that kid could get a transfer. Well, if there's a seasoned teacher dealing with that same student and she's like, I don't have a problem with this. I can handle this. I can whatever. She thinks she's helping that student, but really she's holding him back from getting to the right place. And it's all so objective and opinion-based that for Seeley, I started fighting for a level four, it's called a federal level four school in Minnesota when she was in pre-K because the kid I have today has been the kid that I've had the whole time. Mm -hmm. And it took until second grade for her to get into that program. Meaning for the school to say, we cannot manage these needs here. It's been unsafe. She leaves the building. She, you know, aggression and self-harm have been major players in our path for Celie. So when you're taking out the principal and two adults in the classroom at the same time, and all the rest of the students are in the hallway, they can't manage it. And so now she's at a school where um, the environment that she's in now is, I think, four or five students, including her, and up to nine teachers or staff coming in. So it's lucky for us that she's there, but the system is so that everybody has to fail so many times to get there. And it's just traumatizing. I mean, it really is for the family and for the student. It's I, I don't agree with the least restrictive environment policies of this system, you know? Well, what does level level four provide just real quickly? Like what is, what is the benefit of that that you tried to get her into? Oh yeah. The level four school here is, um, a building that's constructed all together different, first of all. And I can tell you more about that, but the grounds themselves, there is like a prison height fence, for instance, (laughs) it's a little like memory care, um, in Alzheimer's patients, you have to have a badge to get through any door whatsoever. It's all on lockdown. And um, the support ratios, like I said, in Seeley's class are like five to nine. So five students, nine teachers. That doesn't happen in the other 
settings, you know? And so it's just really highly supported. The, the other things that really tailor, I'm sorry, make it a perfect fit for Sealy is that they're sensory aware. And so it's not about sitting on a couch or at a desk for lessons. She might receive her entire math lesson that day in a sensory swing. Um, she might not ever listen to a teacher read a book without having a crash pad for her to jump into. Um, they have like heated seats in the like heated window seats. So there's places to go for input mm-hmm. that she doesn't have to be dismissed to. She's in to learn. I imagine she likes going there Where more than she did the other. She really does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think she thinks she goes to school on a cruise ship. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what would you like? What do you need? How can I help? Um, and they're perceiving the needs before she has them. And that's really glorious mm-hmm. for me. I like I get at school. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on for this marriage relationship series that I'm doing, um, is, is because you've been very candid on social media recently that you're, um, in the midst of a divorce. And I think it was so important that, um, I have you on this episode or in this series specifically because as you've just outlined with Seely and how much work it takes, it's, it's a full-time job and you get no sleep and, um, there's just a lot to manage by yourself. I would think a lot of moms in your position, I was one of them. Celia is a little bit more extreme than Skylar, but there were definitely moments too, where I was unhappy in my marriage. As I talk about in my book, very openly, I got a divorce also, but it took me a long time, many, many months to get myself convinced that I could take care of my two kids by myself, that Mm -hmm. I you know, wouldn't flounder, that the kids wouldn't suffer for not having an additional adult body to help me. He really wasn't much help anyway. So (laughs) that was probably, I gave him way more credit than he deserved at that moment. But so if, if moms or, or people in your position are listening Mm -hmm. that are struggling and just think that they might be better off by themselves than in a marriage that's making them unhappy, um, how did you, the courage to just say, you know what, I'm better doing this by myself than being in this marriage. Before Rachel answers my question, I want to be sure to take the time to recognize the sponsor of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Mia Via Toys, a brand dedicated to creating toys and learning aids for kids with autism and other developmental challenges. My son Skylar has almost every toy from Mia Via, and a few of our favorites are definitely the sensory-weighted plush octopus named Quigley and the plush elephant named Ellie. Heck, my daughter even took the mini Quigley to college. One of the coolest new offerings is the Line and Learn Cars set, which includes 20 cars and a fold-up parking lot. To check out all the incredible products, visit Toys. that's M-E-A-V-I-A-T-O-Y-S dot com, and use promo code SKYLIFE15 to receive 15% off your first order. You know, it's complicated for me um, and I am really open. So I'm sorry if this takes a, a, a hard turn, but I struggle with my own mental health. Um, I have significant depression with suicidal ideation. And uh-huh. so for me, it takes a lot of control to be here and to be okay. And in 
my own process of identifying like what triggers me, what is helping me, what can I avoid, what can I do better, it became clear that I was fighting for those things all on my own. And I don't necessarily blame my Billy, Celie's dad. Um, it's just that I was drowning right there in front of him for a very long time. And we moved, as I had mentioned, we didn't get hooked up with the perfect pediatrician until late in the game. And that's because we moved so many times. And in that I was trying to like, okay, I got to get control of this. If I can change my environment and we can adjust our sales financially, then maybe we can make this work. And every single time it came back to me feeling like I was drowning and doing it alone. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is because in order to make it possible for my, uh, for me to stay home to support Celie's needs, my husband went to work and all of these things like really made the chasm bigger between mm -hmm. us. And I don't know that it's necessarily possible for the amount of time that he had to give to learn fast enough for her changing needs. And it broke us. And because I'm in such a critical place in a, as like a caregiver in crisis, but also as a mom with mental health struggle and a Rachel that's literally looking for the next moment, like waiting for the next sunrise to see that I did it today. I survived yesterday, mm. you know, mm -hmm. I, um, I knew that if something global didn't change about our whole path, that I, I cannot do this. And if that meant a group home for my daughter, we put Celie into crisis placement foster care. So we've done all these things to sort of give ourselves a break. Mm -hmm. I learned how to do it or receive respite. I, um, but nothing solved it. And so uh, this is just to change everything in order to see if we can manage better. And I am only this brave because it's my last shot. Like I really feel this is the only way. Yeah. Um, in our arguments and fights, I, you know, I noticed that the word divorce started coming up when Celie was maybe like five. Mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm a screamer. He is not, it's not my coolest thing, but in it, it didn't mean anything. So I'd throw out like, why don't you leave? And he wouldn't respond or he wouldn't leave or we'd continue to battle and all of those things just kept sitting with me and sitting with mm -hmm. me. Like if I'm doing this alone and it's overwhelming for you, then get out of here. And so I wrote myself a list. I put it in a folder and sort of, we, we had another argument and I grabbed the folder. I knew what I needed to do. And I said, I'm filing for divorce. I'm not talking about a divorce. I'm filing. And that's the word that changed everything. It was from fight like, for the, for the marriage at that point, or did was he like in agreement with you like this? Yeah, this isn't working. This is just not. He thinks this is the only mistake of my life. Really? He thinks, yeah, he's um. He is just certain that we, he and I, will end up together on the other side of this divorce. You know, like we'll find each other again and. I can't focus on anything but saving myself right now. Mm -hmm. And so I have any interest in being with anyone. Um, I, I have 
I need to get myself safe and show Celia a stable environment. Yeah. That's all I can do. And that's like a, a day at a time. I, I'm not planning on a, another spouse <laughs> or <laughs> not around two. I just yeah. don't want besides like the job that I have is significant. Yeah. Well, and Celie needs you to be healthy. I mean, that is the best example of someone putting themselves first. Yes, you're not neglecting Celie and you're doing everything for her. But if you only focus on that, you're not going to make it. None of us could. It's not possible to give 100% of yourself to someone else, especially if you're struggling. I hope you're in therapy. Do you see a therapist? Okay. I'm taking medication. I've done a lot of therapy right now. I'm not because I can't pay somebody to make me right. cry. <laughs> I'm done. But <laughs> I get doing quite well. And um, I'm not in any imminent danger. I'm not in any danger right now. I'm um, sleeping as best I can. We have, we have uh, cultivated one of the most life-saving relationships of my life and of Celie's. Um, uh, there's a family that provides respite for us and they also did her foster stay and you, I know you've met her. Mm-hmm. So when I need to, I can call Chris and just say, I'm bringing her or come pick her up or please help me. And we trade kids. So um, I'll take some of hers or whatever, but getting a break, um, is the only way through. And, and, and I could realize in those moments that, that I was in having a a moment of calm that I was either fighting for her safety or fighting him about her safety. Mm -hmm. And what I need doing with my time is worrying about keeping her safe, Mm -hmm. not the lack of, and I need to be providing an environment where she can be stable even though stability doesn't come easy here. Right. Well, is there, um, I know that it, the concept of the divorce and, and things in, in the, in the relationship in the home doesn't probably resonate much with Celie, but does she understand that Billy isn't sleeping there anymore and that, um, she will visit her dad? What does she yeah. understand about that? Because of the foster placement, she understands that she went to someone else's house to live for a bit, to work on a calm and safe body Mm -hmm. and sleep like certain skills while she was staying there. She, Billy and I moved from our townhome to the home that I'm in now. And she understood that we were both working on stuff and we had to live in separate places in order to do that. The same was true when she was inpatient as a five-year-old, she was there to work on stuff and we were at home working on stuff to help her come home. And so in this case, she understands that there's just another house where they're going to, you know, dad's going to live in a different home and he's going to love you just the same as here. And we've allowed her to be sort of in control. I use the air quotes there (laughs) of some of the things like, would you like to bring this bed to dad's so that it's familiar or, um, what if you had the fort couch there? We have this big, huge sectional and the s- cushions are so strong that you can build forts out of them like a nugget. And she determined that she really thinks dad needs that. Couch. So like just putting her in control of little bits of things That's has smart. allowed her to accept the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we haven't started. I mean, we're 
recording this at the end of September. I asked for a divorce at the end of July and he signs his lease on Sunday. So it's all just sort of been navigating this middle that Kelly Clarkson writes albums about. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very true. Yeah. I think that was my biggest hurdle. It still is. You know, I would love to know when Skylar can spell it to me. Um, Just what that did to him going, because we did week to week with my kids. And I I know for a fact that my ex-husband did not take care of him the way I do. He adamantly refused to do any kind of therapies, pecs or anything at the time. Um, yeah. He just said he didn't have the time. And I'm like, oh my God. So it just pained me as a mom that two weeks out of the month, I had no control. And for a controlling person, that was just like the end of me. Um, yeah. So I just... I always, that was my biggest worry about divorce is the, how the kids, especially those who are nonverbal and can't really explain to you what it feels like, um, what they're emotionally and mentally going through having two homes, Kendall, it was easier to sell it to because I'm like, Hey, you get two rooms, you get two sets of clothes, two Christmases, like, you know, yeah, she was only three. Um, so it was easy to kind of sell it that way. But with Skylar, I try, I explained the same things, but I don't know what part of it he took away. And then of course now he has zero relationship and has a new dad <laughs> with Josh. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I just worry I, about that. Uh, oh, I, <laughs> you know, I believe that Celia is wicked resilient. Mm-hmm. I know that he lives with all that she does sort of yes. base period. The kid is a powerhouse. That being said, because I watched her in inpatient for those 21 days and then in foster care for 83 days and in respite weekends, every weekend or every other, depending on how the schedule was, I know that she can remain herself. Like the Sealy sparkle is there in each environment. Um, and I've accepted that it's wicked different. Now she sleeps at her respite home. She does not sleep consistently here. Mm-hmm. What's for dinner on the table there? Whereas here, it's more controlled, more rigid, very strict on her part, not mine. I'm certain that her dad will have a different relationship altogether and they will do bedtime different and they will figure out their own way. Mm -hmm. I didn't get an answer book with Celie. I didn't, you didn't get one with Skylar. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that they will figure things out. And I will work as an adult in my deepest parts of control freak, Rachel, to just be okay, which mm-hmm. I win respite too. Yeah. Well, I know you're just, you know, kind of just at the beginning stages, I guess, of the official divorce and, and separating and all of those things. But I mean, even just having the courage and the strength to put yourself first and to file the papers, what have you learned about? yourself and the resiliency that you have. I mean, I pray that you do realize how strong you are and like how resilient you are for the things that you have gone through in Celie's eight years of life and everything prior to that. Now this, like you are an incredible person, Rachel. So I hope that you've felt those things or you've told yourself those things, or if you haven't, like what, what have you learned about yourself? You know, I've learned that um, 
I'm really, really strong. Like I, I'm, I feel capable and also crumbling and I've accepted that you can be both. Mm -hmm. I am a mess. I, um, I thank God this is a podcast. The hair is recycled. It's wet (laughs) from yesterday's hot pool. My shirt is today's, um, I just really am a mess, but I accept that I'm making progress. I realize why I crumbled in so many ways in all the different layers of my life. It doesn't do me any good to blame that on my daughter's diagnoses or my husband's strengths and weaknesses uh, or any other thing. I just accept that like, this is where I'm at. am. I'm 40 years old. I'm doing this because it's the only way through. I've tried everything else. And I have conviction about that. I've really tried. I've tried mm-hmm. to do family. I tried to connect. I tried to have common language. Now I just need to learn about a Rachel and trust. I'm beginning to trust myself. Um, I'm not that far. And I don't believe all the things that you said. I just think that if it's, it's true about me, then we're all pretty remarkable as women and moms going through so much. Yeah, I just... um. You know, I didn't always feel that way about myself either. And I didn't look at things that way. And um, that's what my second book is about, actually. Yeah. I don't know if it's coming into my 40s or what it was. I've just had such a perspective shift that I feel like our childhood experiences and everything that we have gone through up to mm-hmm. the point of becoming mothers was all purposeful. Like, yes, you know, every tumultuous experience we had, challenge we had, adversity we faced, whatever it was, prepared us for these children. I don't yes. think, believe in accidents. I think Skylar was given to me and Celie found her way to you for yeah. the, for a reason. And you two are meant to be together. And I just, I, I think I'm that's so where we build up the resilience and strength from history. <laughs> yeah. I'm letting the faith be my fuel because Mm -hmm. Celie is mine. Celie, um, listen, for me to be an adopted person and to have landed where I did Mm -hmm. and then have my adoptive family who I just call my family because they're my real people, Mm -hmm. um, be the connector between me and my daughter's birth mom, because that happened. We have like a mutual, like my mom knew her advocate and whatever. All of these things had to come into play for me to be hers. But in a larger scale, if I didn't know the hurt that I know and know the pain that I have and have the mental health that I do, I don't know that I would be so understanding of the fact that an eight-year-old can be so out of control as to behave this way or be going through this much. If I didn't know depression, I wouldn't understand her. If I didn't feel anxiety, it would be hard for me to wrap my head around why a ponytail could make you hurt somebody like Uh your need for a ponytail could, you know, um, everything has made me hers. Well, and I think your ability to also tackle those hard things, but to jump right in and be a kid with her and let her just enjoy life. That's Mm -hmm. huge too. And I don't know that everybody's personality is made for that. I mean, I couldn't get enough. I can't get enough of your mermaid tails and her makeup and her hair and just you doing her hair so cute. And that is the bonding experiences between the two of you that nobody else could share. It, it's so unique with the two of you and it's fun. It just takes away 
all of the other stuff, the yuck stuff that we get sick and tired of dealing with, and I'm sure Celia doesn't want to deal with it either. That's just such a moment in time of that meltdown. I'm sure it seems like forever, but I would rather focus on blowing up the moments of her the and glitter that, and the you know, braids, all the things and the glitter. Yeah. Lots of yeah. glitter and the braids. I mean, that is you who know, she truly is. The thing is, is that that is Celia in mania. So mm -hmm. as she's, um, six, five, eight, she's navigating life through these other characters because we use the characters to teach her emotions and mm -hmm. play, whatever. When she's in mania, she has as big of needs as she does when she's in depression. And so it's cool to be able to be her sidekick. It's necessary that I'm there. And all that I can do is soak up the smiles because I don't, the only thing I know being hers is that everything is temporary. Yeah. But I don't know at all any time is how long this stint is going to last. Mm -hmm. How long until you let go of my hair? How long until this depression leaves? How long until we can see light again? You know, um, but how long until we get to play Yahtzee and mm -hmm. count numbers and talk about worms and paint and stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. She's such a cutie. I, I mean, I just, Oh, aw, I mean, she really is. Um, I guess, you know, I always hate to use the word advice, but it's the only word I can think of ever. Is, is yeah. there, if there's anything you could tell a listener who might be kind of struggling with the same things, whether they're thinking about um, changing their relationship status or they're just overwhelmed with their child and they're internalizing it all and feeling like, you know, maybe it's hindering their marriage or their relationship because they're, they're not communicating with their partner about yeah. what they need or what they feel, or they feel like their partner is absent and not sharing in the roles and the duties and the responsibilities. It's easy to build up resentment to your partner. If you're doing 95% of the parenting and they're yeah. leaving for work and coming home and it's all done and they weren't there for the meltdowns and stuff. Um, is there anything you would suggest to people to do, whether it's have the conversation or have a best friend that you can bitch and complain to? <laughs> because I, I don't know what the answer is, but anything you try. The real thing to me is like the way that I could have made it through and remained a little stronger is that as each of those layers of me was peeled off, like all these adjustments were made to my professional life. All of these things were pulled. We made the choice together to stop working or to change my schedule more and more and more until I wasn't working at all. Or my friendships were pulled back and pulled back. And I like social stuff was less and less. I wish that I had taken more stock of who I was before those layers were gone so that I knew what I was looking for now. I feel like I lost so much of myself in this journey that if you can, if you're a mom and you feel like you're dangerously close to where I be, got to mm -hmm. go in your car, it's three minutes of a song. It's a paint class with a friend. It's taking a chance to go on a zoom to meet somebody. It's listening to Lori's podcast or the table for five. It's like surround yourself with both who you were. Keep in mind who you want to be. Mm-hmm find common people because the, you know, I live in Minnesota in a very tight knit group of 
um, like we've developed a, I'm sorry, just to re-say that I'm a member of Coop's Troop, Kate uh -huh. Swenson's group, you and I met in meeting and immersing myself into that group as a Minnesota mom. I've been able to meet dozens and dozens of your friends of, you know, all these people uh -huh. um, that we get to do baseball together and we get to go out to dinner together. And just today I got a text from one of those moms that said, um, saw your text 10 days ago, never replied. Should we have a drink? And I'm going to say yes, even though I don't want to leave my house, uh -huh. even though it's a effort to do the things, keep connecting with yourself and others keep finding people that get it even though nobody in your real life does it's it's really the only things that brought me through and take the chance like you and I both met hugged and which you know is a hard one for me but I did it oh girl <laughs> that's a chapter in my new book too all yeah. about the hugs and affection <laughs> and, and, like and then Rachel Flanagan gave me a cookie <laughs> and I'm healed yeah um you know I just take the chance, just be a friend, just try one more time. That mm -hmm. is, is the best thing because I have felt and actually been in crisis, but I have felt like I was at the bottom probably for like three years and mm -hmm. it just falling out. Um, I, I totally lost myself. So if, if there's anything you can do before you get to that point, hold on to her because yeah, it's hard to be strong enough when you don't even know what your source is. Well, and I don't feel like people should have to be live in isolation anymore. I mean, early 2000s when Skylar was diagnosed, there wasn't these opportunities to meet people through social media. And I think that's changed my life and changed my perspective because, yeah, some of the people that I'm really close to have children 10 years younger than Skylar. But- yeah there are situations are similar in other ways. And I, I just have found my people. I just know that I can call or reach out in any way and just, you know, blow off some steam or cry. I've cried for an entire five minutes. I call someone and I'm already crying and they just listen. And then when I yeah. finally stop talking, they're like, what do you need? You know, I mean, it's not judgmental. It's nothing like that. It's just, they listen and they understand. They truly understand because they live the same life. And I used to think that it was, that I was missing out because all of the people that Skylar was peers with when we were little, when he was little, mm -hmm. all of those moms and several of them are still good friends of mine too. But I, I just, I, I don't have anything to talk to them about because yeah there's not in sports he's not the star of whatever team he's not going to college he's not running and picking me up things from the grocery store in his car there's just so many you know differences I would much rather talk to autism parents or people who have children with disabilities that are like yeah we had some fecal smearing today I'm like yeah, yeah. I understand it, what that is I mean that is still in the row, life what's that yeah. I said, when you can call somebody and say like, oh, it's still in your eyebrow and it's okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Or we have three day old hair and it's like, so do I, you know, yeah. it's no big deal. So yeah, I just, I don't think anyone should have to go it alone, but to what you said, you have to make the choice to reach out to somebody. You shouldn't feel like you can't talk to anyone and you should internalize how you're feeling and that you're complaining you're not complaining. It's just, you're, you're venting. It's just reality. You know, when, 
when you have friends that are within the same life or running this parallel journey, all I can say is that I, so Lori, you and I are perfect example. We've talked several times, but we're not super close. I don't know every single thing, but I know that to you, I could be an expert in one or two things that you need help with. And I know for sure that you're an expert in a few things that I need. Mm -hmm. That is not a feeling that I get when I'm in a room with people that don't get this life. It just feels hard, different, and cold. When I'm talking to you about my own problems, I know that I will help you and you will help me. Like, it's just this symbiotic, beautiful, I don't know if that's the right language, but it's this beautiful thing that we both take from that can be so fulfilling, you know? I, yeah. I didn't feel like an expert in anything. I felt like a failure in every level of day and yeah. every product of my task list until I was a girl mom that understood this other girl mom because mm -hmm. in, in autism, I'm sorry, naturally when your kid is autistic, you become a minority group, you know, you're like a different group in autism. There is four boys diagnosed to every girl. Right. And it, like, once I found something where I could just look eye to eye with someone and be the same then we can share and grow mm -hmm. and learn. You know? mm -hmm. One of the things I love about this community too, is it, it's a, a difference between people who make suggestions. They listen, they hear you out and they're like, well, I tried this. You might try that instead of the people who don't live this life. And I'm not trying to be insulting, but mm -hmm. it's just even my own family, just outside of this bubble of autism. They're like, well, did you see that 2020 episode or that, you know, series on autism and that those parents did this. And it's almost judgmental to me. Like, why yes. the hell haven't you tried that? Your, oh, your kid would be talking to if you like yeah. have just read this book or done this thing. And I'm like, oh my God, you just don't get it. And they make me feel worse about myself. So when I yeah. find my people that are like, ah, yeah, that happened to us too. They'll grow out of it. Don't worry too yeah. much about it. I feel so much better. Yeah. <laughs> It really is. It's, I don't need this, the pressure of a teachable moment with yeah. someone that I'm connecting with or right. that. Under, I mean, it really, I think you can hear at the table for five mm -hmm. that we have been in the 3 a.m.s with each other. We've been in the pukes. We've been in the like, oh, there's still poop on your face. We've been in the most glorious, huge milestones. Like when a kid doesn't throw their dinner plate huge we will throw a party for each other's kids for no damn reason because Aww. that is reason you know like yeah. being able to celebrate one another and having that chemistry and trust has brought a part of my sparkle back that I just didn't even know could reignite I love that I love hearing that and then meeting people in person I'm so glad we're able to finally do more events where we can see each other because there's just something about getting that hug that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that you didn't think you needed. It's just a room full of like-minded people. And it's just funny. I mean, the funny thing too, is seeing um, autism parents in the wild is like, I like I to call it because, you know, we're so focused and we're doing the things that we need for advocacy and IEPs and all of this stuff. But when our kids aren't weighing us down like at that moment and we have freedom for it's like it's so funny it's just crazy it's, it's just we're normal people for five minutes it, you know it turns out we are just normal people like mm -hmm. we can still remember how to do the normal people stuff yeah <laughs> oh man 
recently got back from Moon Beach, uh, which is another retreat that Kate does. And in two weeks, I'm going to Edenton, which is where Tales of an Educated Debutante Adrian's yeah, weekend. Uh-huh. Um, I, that one is interesting because it isn't just caregivers. So I'm like, oh, I wonder how I'm going to do in mixed company. <laughs> so who is it's caregivers and who? Her followers. So just. Oh, people. really? Just. So people follow yep. her that don't, that aren't caregivers. That's news to me. Like, I mean, I don't <laughs> Yeah. Why yeah, would I... anyone want to read about my life that doesn't live well, it? I, I... That is strange. I'm going to be in a mixed community, but I can handle I know. it. We'll see <laughs> You'd be doing a lot of hugging. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate your transparency and your honesty. I just think that this is a topic that we don't talk about enough. Mm-hmm. And the it's funny because out of all the things I talked about in my book and, you know, when I give speaking events and things, the one thing that people want to talk about a lot is Josh and like my relationship and my divorce and how I did it as a single mom. And that's a large population. There's a lot of parents doing this alone. And, um, you know, I just, I guess I didn't realize that I thought I was kind of a unicorn that I was a divorced autism mom and whatever, but it's kind of more the norm than it isn't. So I just appreciate when people are honest and say it's, it's tough. It is tough. I but. heard that 80% of special needs families um, have a divorce in mm-hmm. them. Like, and, you know, I didn't think that I was headed there, but I can say that I really did try everything to save myself, to save our con- connection, to save our commitment to one another. And I can't, it's too much job for me to have to be okay to care for her and to care for anybody else yep. at all. And you choose um, yourself and you should, you should put yourself yeah. first. For well, once. I tried the other time and I almost ended up, well, you know, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> We're happy that you're here. Well, thanks yeah. Rachel. And as I said, in the opening, people can follow your page on Facebook and Instagram, right? At Flannaville. So uh, Flannaville and- Facebook and then on Instagram, it's Flanna Goods, which is also oh, our website. Goods. Okay. Yep. And then um, a table for five is good, a good place to follow. That's kind of it. Yeah. Just come to Minnesota, get a hug, you know, whatever <laughs> you need. I'm just right here. Need me. <laughs> yep. Well, yes, that is much needed. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. And um, I'll be following along like I always do. And I'll link up all of your um, social media sites so people can quickly click and follow you if they're not already. So thanks, Rachel. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.